minus 10. Welcome to Laser Focused. Together, we make the impossible possible. Now here's your host, Renette Youssef. Welcome back to Laser Focused. I'm your host, Renette Youssef, CMO and brand disruptor at Velo3D. This week, I'm joined by Torvin Taylor, mechanical design engineer and draftsperson at PWR Performance Products. PWR is a leading manufacturer in the automotive cooling market. Torvin is here to talk to us about the technology they produce for some of the world's biggest names in performance sports. So, hey, Torben, so great to meet you. You too, Renette. Nice Aussie accent there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I would love to start off by asking you to give our listeners a brief overview of yourself and PWR. Sure. Okay. Well, my name is Torben. I live and work in Queensland, Australia, where the PWR headquarters is located. Our main manufacturing facility is down here in Queensland, but we have offices in Europe and offices over in, well, our, our sister company over in the States, in Indianapolis. So what we do is we, as a name suggests, we do advanced cooling technology. So any sort of facet of radiators, heat exchangers, oil coolers, charge air coolers, we manufacture all in-house. And they're used in what applications, Torben, for listeners new to additive manufacturing? A primary customer is automotive. So anything automotive, you will more than likely find our name there. But recently, we've started to dabble in aerospace and military and OEM markets. We've seen big interest from a few of those for additive parts as well. Oh, awesome. Okay, so can you maybe tell me how you came across 3D printing? I mean, honestly, Velo3D was my first exposure to metal printing. So how did you get into it and how did they find you? I found them. Okay. But how I got into it was there was this one course at university. It was like a a two-week block in one subject university that was just experience and exposure to 3D printing with these tiny Mm -hmm. little plastic 3D printers. And then Mm -hmm. we got to use that for two weeks and I was really, really intrigued. and I wanted to know a bit more. So after that semester ended, I went went out and bought my own 3D printer. <laughs> okay. And what about metal 3D printing? I knew about it for a long time, but my first exposure to it was at PWR with uh-huh. the, the Velo. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And okay, so when I see people's reaction or hear about their reaction when they realize what you can do with metal printing, do you remember your first reaction? Oh, you always see these. <laughs> uh, it's probably marketing. But you see all these, like these really, these really, really cool, like lattice structures and all these, you know, intricate assemblies that, you know, usually shown off. Uh And that was sort of my first kind of look at it. I'm like, oh, well, that's really, that's really cool. You can't really produce that any other way. And then you could. And then you could, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so talk to me about, you know, you were talking about air coolers. Like why is 3D metal printing effective for what you're doing with like automotive and sports cars and performance racing and but what Velo 3D is enabling important for the applications you're building? It, it definitely is. What the Velo 3D allows us to do is print the thinnest walls. And printing thin walls is very, very important in uh, heat exchanges because you've got to you know, introduce your heat exchange. The heat exchange obviously occurs between a thin wall and whether that be air to water or an air to oil or to water, 
there's always some sort of heat exchange between two mediums. Having the thinnest walls allows that to occur the most effectively. Out of all the, let's say, tests or out of all the trials we looked at uh, in various companies with different machines, Avello was able to produce the thinnest walls most consistently. Okay, so I guess consistency is very important. Mm. So when the first time you evaluated or part of the team that was evaluating additive manufacturing and 3D printing, what were some of the things that you had to consider, like something you wouldn't compromise on? So obviously thin walls is important because for heat exchanges, you need thin walls. What other parts of the technology should somebody consider when they're looking at 3D metal printing? Well, it really depends on the application because we are automotive. Definitely thin walls was our biggest criteria, but then repeatability Mm -hmm. of those thin walls, definitely the yield. Build volume, another big thing. It's not build volume isn't very important if you know what you're intending to print, but obviously bigger. So we have reliability, we have consistency, volume, build volume. Build volume, build volume. Yeah. Yep. You do okay. want to get you would you do want to get a, as much yield as possible out of a build because obviously running the machine takes money. And the unique thing with 3D printing is if you print one part on a build plate it's going to take the same amount of time as printing 20 of the same part on the build plate. Mm -hmm. And so when you were evaluating this, like what experiments or what did you do? Did you give people an application to print and then evaluate the quality? And so what was that process like? So when we were looking for the correct machine, we sent or we designed a small 50 millimeter by 50 millimeter heat exchanger with very tricky internal geometry that was made up of thin walls, so thin wall tube and thin wall turbulators. We sent that out to various machine manufacturers and asked them, hey, what can you do with this geometry? Do you think you can print this geometry or should we change it to meet your machine? Some companies came back and said, okay, well, if you, if you can tweak this, it will give you the best result, so we did. But we tried to have every one of these companies produce the same product Mm -hmm. and the majority of them did and they sent it back to us Mm -hmm. when we received them back we actually welded on some fittings and we put it up in our wind tunnel Mm. to test the performance check there was no leaks checked everything was airtight it was a bit of an effort well certainly the velo we have a velo at the moment so that answers that but certainly (laughs) the velo was the lead contender there always producing very consistent results the thinnest walls without any leaks actually i think when when we were in conversation with them, they actually asked us to make the geometry inside more difficult for them. Oh, wow. That's so valid. <laughs> <laughs> and they did? They did. Okay. So what other applications are useful for metal printing? Um, I can only really speak for what we do at the moment. Something, something that I didn't anticipate uh, we would use metal printing for is actually printing some uh, liquid cold plates. Mm which is very interesting. Normally with a liquid cold plate, you would have you would have two halves, you would machine both halves as a channel in each, and then you braze them together. But now with additive, we can just print it with whatever kind of geometry inside that we want. And um, that lets us sort of move away from your normal kind of 2D mm-hmm. cooling channels, which is what you would see in your mm-hmm. normal cold plates. But this, this allows us to sort of do anything we want, especially with the Velo. Yeah. Um, okay. So, would you ever go back to traditional manufacturing? Yes. In what situations? If, or well, this this comes down to what the customer is after, we would 
usually push for a traditional manufacturing method because we are so experienced in it. It's only when there are such tight restrictions on the, say, the customer's available space that we would move to additive manufacturing because traditional manufacturing has so much data behind it and so much history behind it. Mm. We can always verify it's going to perform how we intend. So a typical situation with a customer is they will come to us with a packaging constraint. I'll say, okay, we need to put a, a some sort of cooler heat exchanger radiator in this space, mm. but we need to get this performance out of it. If that can be done with a traditional, traditionally manufactured heat exchanger, we will absolutely go for that. It is actually usually cheaper in the in the long run, especially in volume. But if we can't fit one of our products in there, we will definitely go the additive additive route because with additive you can just you kind of put geometry anywhere and not be restricted to you know a square or a rectangle. So, did you have any misconceptions before you started on this journey of additive manufacturing? Yes, maybe your top three or top five. Top five is. Just because it can be additive manufactured doesn't mean it shouldn't. Okay, talk to me a little bit more about that. A lot of people like the idea of additive manufacturing because, you know, it's additive manufacturing. It's cool. It's new. It's the latest technology. It is in, in all respects, but you shouldn't take away from what's been done in traditional manufacturing. Only then, until you've sort of analyzed all the options to you, then go to additive. Because additive, it's still not easy by any means, but it can get you more results if if you're looking in the right areas. Also, another misconception we had was um, post-processing. Okay. That's a big, uh, that was a big gray area for us. Okay. And for people who don't understand what that might mean? Oh, so post-processing is anything that comes after the printing itself. So, you know, your usual usual sort of timeline of, say, having a part in your hand is you would get the design, you would run it through your slicing software, you would put all your supports in, you'd send it to the machine, the machine would do its thing for however long, then you'd take it off, cut it from the bill plate, and, well, that's what I thought was the end of it. You'd cut it off the bill plate and, hey, you have a part. Not the case. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of processes after to maybe achieve a certain surface finisher after. A lot of the time we have to actually post machines to actually put it in a traditional subtractive manufacturing machine. A lot of, say, manual processes, cleaning, cleaning the part. And yeah, there's lots of, there, there, is a, there is quite a few options post-printing that we hadn't considered before we mm-hmm. had the machine. But uh, we've had the Velo for, I think, a year and a bit now. Mm-hmm. And we've definitely learned a lot in that time. Mm-hmm. Did you think that it could do all the stuff that you've been able to do before you started? Oh, no. No, okay. No, there was so much, there was so much I was surprised it could do. Mm-hmm. Just the Velo in general. I mean, when I saw what it could do, I was like, "Well, oh, that's very, very different. You can't, you can print as low as 20 degrees. That's not normal on any additive machine, whether that be resin or plastic or other metal technologies. The thin walls, definitely, that's something that we just hadn't seen before. And the, the, the machine, the, the actual physical machine itself is such a great system that we just didn't see it with other manufacturers where a lot of the Velo's capabilities lie in the machine itself. So there is no, also let's go back, it's a lot, there's a lot of internal safety in the machine 
that just makes it better for the user like me i operate the machines and i i love i love operating it just because there's no interaction with the powder the powder is a hazardous material i don't ever have to touch it because it's all contained in the machine some of the other machines that we looked at there's you know a bit of back and forth between you say drying the powder sieving the powder putting it in the machine taking it out of the machine there's <laughs> there is there is some, some some risky plays there with other other machines but the velo is um just a great self-contained system. What about supports in the industry? A lot of people talk about support free and is it possible? Like how, how much did that play a part in your evaluation and misconceptions even? Like, did you believe it? Well, no, I didn't. I, I, I was like, 10 degrees? Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> it was like 40, anything below 45 needs support. But no, <laughs> when we had the machine, we, uh, we definitely tested that. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we <laughs> printed a lot of uh, challenging geometries to try and uh, sort of see what it was capable of. We did we did hit the limits of the machine, but those limits were far beyond anything we were ever thinking was possible. Mm-hmm. Cool. And, and what about customers? Like, can you name some? And do any of them actually say, I want a heat exchanger or a, a printed? Like, I want a 3D metal printed because of the thin walls and the higher performance? Or do you sort of take a project and evaluate which way to manufacture and then make a recommendation? No, exactly that. The, the latter, what you said. Okay. We, yeah, usually a customer will come to us with a with with, with an issue they're facing, or they want something. They, they want a part that they're not quite sure how to produce. And it's not always a heat exchanger. We've done lots of other parts other than heat exchangers. But I, will, I won't go into customer names. But our big our biggest customer in general is Formula One. Uh huh. We've had a big interest from a lot of the Formula One teams in. Uh huh. The, the capabilities of, of the Velo, as far as some of them have actually gone to say on their technical documents, this must be printed on the Velo. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it is. It is. We, uh, we've, we've, we've uh, just one, one in particular, we had to do an audit with the customer and ourselves and sort of go through the capabilities of the Velo for them to, in their eyes, qualify the machine and it passed with flying colors. They, even they were surprised at the capabilities of the machine. So what makes it applicable for Formula One, right? Like, so why would they say it must be printed on Velo or any other machine? Like, what is it about Formula One that they asked for it to be printed? Is it the performance or is it? The- it's the controlled process in the machine. So the, the teams are very concerned mm-hmm. about, say, porosity in the parts. Okay. And you get porosity introduced into well, the powder. It's not really the end product. It's in the powder. If you oxidize the powder, you will get more porosity. So oxidization occurs when the powder is just exposed to air. Mm-hmm. So if it's out in the open, it will start to slowly oxidize and then eventually degrade. But because of the closed-loop system of the Velo, it's never at any time exposed to air. And any powder that is, say, left over from the end of the build that is exposed to air is wasted. So the, to the, the Formula 1 teams were very happy with that that controlled system of the Velo where we can effectively disregard porosity as a, as a concern for them. I mean, it's still going to be there in some places depending on the geometry, but mm-hmm. having powder oxidization is not going to be one of them. So there's a lot of sort of boxes we can boxes of risk we can cross off by using the Velo for the Formula 1 teams. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Awesome. All right, so... What about adoption? I mean, you talked about something that surprised me, like people are actually saying we want this print on Velo, right? Mm. 
What about internally? How how has the adoption of something new like 3D metal printing been and how do people accelerate adoption internally? How should they? I think the best way is to start at looking at what you are already doing now with your current processes and see if it can be made easier or better or faster. Mm-hmm. So certainly we've we've done that with a few of our products where say, you know, a normal run-of-the-mill heat exchanger, a certain component of that might be made in three or four parts. We can now just make it in one part. So combining, say, a, a multi-assembly component into one and have it printed quicker than what it could be manufactured. Traditionally, is certainly a big area that you can improve on. Mm-hmm. So consolidation of parts. Like I'm an old school folk, right? Do they, do they trust it? And how do you sort of make them believe that it can be done or customers? You kind of put a part in front of them yeah. and say, here's what we can do. Are you, do, do, do you like it yeah, now? Yeah, okay. But no, there is, there is definitely hesitation to use it. And it's going to take a while for that hesitation to go away. But mm-hmm. with what we've done in the last year with the Velo, it's definitely built confidence up internally with the parts we produce, the as going as far as just offering additive straight away instead of or traditional manufacturing capabilities. Mm-hmm. We are definitely building up that confidence with our existing customer base because a lot of the parts we print now aren't from new customers. They're from our existing customer base. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're seeing the reliability of additive and the Velo and the parts it produces. Mm-hmm. I want to sort of maybe go back and double tap on the, the Formula One stuff, right? So what was the first time you printed, if you remember, a printed apart for Formula One? And what was the results and their reaction? So that was that was last year we first printed we first printed some parts. Okay. <laughs> we advertised the the velo to them and they were like, okay. Interesting. We'll send you some parts to print and then you can show us what you've done. And so we did. We printed them on the velo. Certainly they would have been more difficult on any other machine without the low angle. Uh-huh. Well, this is just supportless printing. Uh-huh. And we printed them, we machined them, we sent them to them, and they were very pleasantly surprised. They were comparing the result we had sent them to how they had done it traditionally, and it was night and day difference. Cool. So when you're designing parts, what is one thing that you would never compromise on? Definitely build orientation and support structures. When you get a part, there's always going to be sort of one or two orientations you can print the part and that's going to give you the best result. And that's something that we always strive for is giving the customer the best result possible. So having that part oriented correctly with minimum support structure is gonna is always going to lead you to the best end result. And with certainly the Velo's low angle capabilities, we can really reduce those support structures down to almost almost zero save maybe for a few supports at the very bottom just to hold the part on the base plate. And I bet you we should probably show you how to remove those in, in time. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So like one, one final question, like when you're, um, if you're talking to design engineers for the first time and they're about to sort of think about 3D metal printing, what would your top advice be to them? Definitely do your research. Okay. Look at what you want to produce. Look at how it can be produced in what machine is best for it because while it's all it's all metal printing they all have in general the same sort of uh makeup inside of a machine 
I mean, you'll, you'll find all machines, you know, have a, have a bill plate, have a recoder, have a supply chamber, but there are differences between them. Really look at in depth and contact the companies and see which yeah. is going to suit your application for your products or your parts that you want to produce mm-hmm. because different machines are better at different things. Okay. Well, what's the coolest part you've printed? My, my NDA is knocking at the door right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Something that you can talk about. <laughs> Definitely the coolest things are for the Formula <laughs> 1 teams. And some of those coolest parts are being used in the next 2022 season. We've already started producing parts wow. for the next year, for next year's cars. So those will be the coolest parts that I unfortunately can't go into detail. No. <laughs> We've been able to do some very interesting parts for a local Australian aerospace startup company. Oh, nice. They send us all these crazy designs of like, can you print this? Can you print this? And I'm like, yep, yep, we can, we can do it. Wow. And where are they based? Where are they based in Australia? They're actually um, like half an hour down from us in, in Queensland. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're very close. We drive the parts down to them. Oh, nice. So they've been they've been producing a lot of their internal rocket parts, like in impellers and inducers and volutes, and we're working with them as they build up to their first proper rocket launch. And seeing all these new parts come together is very very interesting. We interviewed Max from Launcher a couple of weeks ago, and he's doing rockets to release satellites into space. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> and he's a big fellow fan. It's a very it's a very capable machine, especially for aerospace parts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Is there any other last thoughts that you would give a design engineer embarking on designing for additive? Get a velo. It's, it's so easy. <laughs> it's so it's People so easy. People think I paid you. <laughs> but it actually is. So we 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 have we have two machines, one a velo, one a different traditional machine. I'm always biasing myself towards putting parts on the velo just because it is so much easier to use. It's less of my time used especially with the, the setup and the teardown of the machine. It's a lot quicker to operate, a lot safer to operate, as I mentioned before. It's just a fantastic machine where there's lots of little details that just make the, the process of additive much easier, which I think you wouldn't, you wouldn't traditionally sort of know if you weren't in the, say, the additive manufacturing space. It's these, those little details that you just wouldn't know. That could save you over a week could save you almost, you know, 12 hours of time. And then you have the stuff that you talked about before in terms of reliability and consistency. Reliability, safety, definitely. Yeah. Being a self being mm-hmm. just one system is amazing. Like when we when we got the shipment of the of the ve- of the velo, it was just this big black cube. And we're like, is that it? Every, every, everything's in there. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Thanks so much for your time, Torben. No worries. It was great to meet you. You too. Uh, hopefully talk again soon and maybe see you in Australia. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> Thanks, Renette. Take care. That's going to do it for another episode of Laser Focused. I want to thank Torben for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere you get your favorite podcasts for new episodes. I'm your host, Renette Youssef, and this has been Laser Focused where together we innovate without compromise.